Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. That's all right right there. You can let it out. You can let it out. You can let it out. Listen, if it's just you, it's enough. If it's just you, it's enough. I didn't know them two songs were going to go together so nicely. Spirit, break out. I know we don't have time. <laughs> but I just want God to break our walls. So that he could truly be the Lord over our life. Amen. <laughs> Listen, if this is your first time with us, <clears throat> a very special welcome to you. So glad you would join us on this day and entrust some of your time uh, to Renovation Church. We are uh, continuing in our series today, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But before we jump into that, just a couple of things. Uh, number one, Easter is upon us, and amen. And uh, our service times are going to change to 9 and 11, and they're going to stay that way. So please make a note of that. And then uh, secondly, start thinking now who your one more is. Who, who are you bringing with you? Uh, to join you for Easter to be impacted and perhaps have their entire story changed in a moment with Jesus. That's what I'm encouraging you to today. Uh, as I said, we're going to continue in our series of Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you want to follow along uh, with our sermon notes, um, you can scan that QR code there and it'll take you to the notes. Uh, I want to encourage you to get and read this book if you haven't already. I think it'll challenge you in great detail. I I am taking uh, 300 pages and a number of Bible verses and condensing it into six 30-minute sermons. So you can imagine there's a lot more that could be said. In fact, I think I'm going to go live this Wednesday and just unpack a few more things Wednesday morning uh, that I think might be helpful for you. But uh, please, uh, if you have the ability, go ahead and grab that book. And if you don't, let us buy it for you. I think it will be a blessing to you. You also should have gotten a uh, piece of paper when you came in. Uh, you're going to take a test in church today. Uh, is there a member of the host team somewhere visible for me to see? Uh, if not, then I'm going to ask Darius for you to do this for me. If you didn't get one of those, will you slip your hand up so that uh, we can bring you one? Put it up high like a Pentecostal, not like a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> and they will bring you one uh, so that you can do this alongside us. Uh, just an interesting little test that we're going to do. Now, uh, last week we talked about the idea of identity and belonging. And here is the answer at which we arrive, that every part of our lives should honor God. Every part of our lives should honor God. And so for the next five weeks, with that as our foundation, we're going to talk about what that means to operationalize that reality. In other words, if every part of our lives should honor God, then how does that play out in the way that we live life? And with that, we're going to look at an interesting encounter uh, between Mary, Martha, and Jesus uh, that I believe is a fantastic path to lead us into the conversation of eliminating our hurry sickness. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me or you can read it here on the screen or in the notes there in the Bible app. 
hear the word of the Lord. Now, as they went on their way, he being Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Y'all seen that meme of uh, Lawrence Fishburne? <laughs> so how I look back at the congregation when I know I got them. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. If you are following the way of Jesus, would you say with me, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the word of the Lord. Father, would you move now in power through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start today with a bit of an embarrassing uh, story. Oh, good. That's the spirit I want around here for sure. Uh, it happened in 2007 when Brianna and I were still living in Sevierville, Tennessee. We actually went up there this last week for winter break uh, to take the kids to Gatlinburg. Uh, and uh, we thought it was going to be triggering, but it actually ended up being fairly healing. Uh, of course, the last time we were there, Eden was a baby in diapers with a diaper bag and a stroller. So that tells you how long it's been since we've been there and why we've stayed away so long. Uh, Sevierville was a tough place to live uh, and a tough place to pastor. Sevierville was the first uh, place where my wife in her lifetime heard someone call the N-word uh, in real life. And it was me as uh, we were walking into an olive garden and somebody at another table mumbled, she can't, they can't believe that she is with that N-word. Uh, it was the first place that I was refused service in modern times uh, when a gas station attendant looked at me and said, we don't serve your kind here. Uh, and, and it was a deeply depressive place, uh, and, and I believe that there's a principality over that place, and we don't have time to talk about that today. But, but it was also the place that uh, my signs of hurry sickness began to be uh, revealed as we served in that small town. In fact, I'm going to read these, and, and, and as they slap you across the face, just go ahead and receive them as things that you deal with as well. Uh, late nights and early mornings, irritability, short fuse, perpetual exhaustion, sleepless nights because I was tired and wired at the same time, working seven days a week but still never finished, and an almost non-existent spiritual life. Now, my non-existent spiritual life is dangerous for anybody before a pastor. I was in trouble. I was the embodiment of what Korean philosopher Byung-Chul Han describes in his book, The Burnout Society, where he writes, and that's a good book for you to read, by the way, where he writes, they are too alive to die and too dead to live. They are too alive to die and too dead to live. And no moment exposed my sickness more than the embarrassing moment that I wanted to share with you already that I told you about that I've been avoiding for the last 30 seconds. And that is the moment, the moment where on a Sunday morning I hit a parked car. That's how bad it was. You see, Brianna and I were rushing out of the house as we very often did. 
because we had to get there early that Sunday morning because I had to be there in time to teach our kingdom life classes, which was a role that I was given on top of small groups, on top of college ministry, on top of outreach. I was now doing kingdom life. And so we scrambled to get out of the house and grab the diaper bag and the stroller and the car seat. Any first-time parents, am I talking to you right now? You glad to be alive today, right? Uh, and we were struggling to get all these things in the car. And in the midst of the rush, I had forgotten my teaching materials. When I got to the building, <clears throat> I thought to myself, should I wing it? Probably not. Uh, because there was a lot of people watching and there were actually some people in that congregation waiting for the only black pastor in that congregation to fail. A lot of pressure. So I hopped in the car and I went way too fast back to our apartment and I came screaming into the parking lot. Wheels, I mean, we were in a Nissan Armada, but that thing hit the corner like, right, I came in quick and flung into the parking space in front of our apartment and took me a minute to register that I had just run my car into the car parked in the parking space next to mine. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. Should I go upstairs, find the owner, tell him what happened, make things right, call the police, do the insurance, do the thing, or should I leave a note and go back to the church? And if you said to yourself, he left the note and went immediately back to church, you are correct. Watch this. Because I had to. Because if I didn't, then I wouldn't be able to do the thing that I was supposed to be doing that morning. And all of the responsibility and all of the pressure and all of the things that I had to get done would not be done. Now listen, you may have never hit a parked car in your life. Some of you have. You know who you are. But I guarantee you, if you would take an introspective look at your life, you see places, you see pressure points, you see moments that reveal that you were moving way too fast in a life you're not actually living. It's sad to me that it took hitting a parked car to wake me up to that reality. When the restlessness and exhaustion and frustration and insomnia and self-medicating should have been sign enough. Some of the same things you're navigating now. And so the question that I put before you is, is there a better way? Yes. There has to be a better way. There has to be a better way because this is not it. There has to be a better way to be human than running ourselves into the ground until we nearly burn out, go on a vacation that we can barely afford, come back into the grind just to do it all over again. There's got to be a better way. But in order to get to a better way, we first have to acknowledge the problem. And I'm going to invite you to acknowledge this with me. We have fast, distracted, overextended lives. Hi, my name is Leons. I've been sober for six months. This is how we live. This is who we are as a society. It is for this reason that Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It is why psychologists call Young wrote, 
Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Because it ruins everything. Hurry is killing our spiritual, physical, and emotional life. But I have to believe that a fast, distracted, busy, overextended life is not what you actually want. You just either feel pressed into it or you're addicted to it. But it can't be what you actually want. And so what if the answer was simply slowing down and unhurrying? And you think to yourself, that's not possible. Yes, it is. You just got to want that more than you want whatever this pace is providing you. But it's not just slowing down. It's not just slowing down. That's a part of the antidote. And listen, for those of you who are not followers of the way of Jesus who are in the room or there online, that is a part of the antidote. Slowing down is a part of the antidote. But to be fully healed, you can't slow alone. You have to slow with Jesus. To be fully healed, you have to slow with Jesus. Why? Because what does Jesus say? Come to me all who are burdened, weary, and heavy laden. And I will give you rest for your souls. Take on my yoke. Because my yoke is easy. You got to say it like that. You can't just say easy in old pastor. Because my yoke is easy. And... My burden is light. <laughs> Every now and then I got to go old church just for my soul. It's for my soul. I, I mean, even this headset, sometimes I just want to rip it off and just. Jesus offers us an unhurried life. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he, he offers us the opportunity to live, listen, freely and lightly. That's what he offers us. But before we jump into that, I'm going to ruin everybody's day. Take out your paper and your pens. Ask your friend for a pen if you ain't got a pen. Don't be trying to get out of it. There should be one in the chairs too if you need one. And we're going to help you diagnose the depth of your hurry sickness. Yeah, I know. Nobody made you come here today. Uh, number one, irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed a little too easily. Little things irk you. People irk you. If you want to know if you got this, ask the people closest to you. It's a yes or no. X marks the spot. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings. 
a grumpy email to set you off. A little turn of events to throw you, somebody sliding in your DMs the wrong way. If you've ever said, if you ever said, my whole day is ruined, put an X. Restlessness. This is, this is the number one for me. When you actually try to slow down and rest and you can't relax. You know, my wife, who has been my chief discipler, she asked me one day, and, and it, was a, it was a really heartfelt moment. She used to be jamming me up. And y'all, for those of y'all who know her, you know her actual ministry. She'd be up here like. <laughs> but in them corners, it'd be like. <laughs> but it wasn't one of those times. She said, babe, do you feel guilty? Just sitting. And I said, well, actually, yes, I do. I feel like if I'm not doing something, then I'm doing something wrong. I had to get free from that. I had to get free from that. Number four, workaholism. Do we need to? You just don't know when to stop or worse, you can't stop. Your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. Number five, emotional numbness. You just ain't got it. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Somebody needs you to be present and empathetic and you're like, yeah. Tank's empty. I've got nothing to give you. Check the box. Out of order priorities, you feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. Let me illustrate that. There's been about 10 or 12 times I wanted to quit what I do. But most of the time, I would say 11 out of those 12 were illegitimate. I just had my priorities wrong and I was off from my calling because I thought to myself, I can make a lot more money with a lot less stress. So let me move on from that. Call and be darned. Number seven, lack of care for your body. The living definition of broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> Whenever I don't want to go to the gym, I remind myself. Now, politics aside, I'm not asking you to take a political stance here, but I remember reading in Men's Health Magazine about President Barack Hussein Obama, who, through two terms, still worked out three days a week and played basketball. Three days a week. And he could ball. And I was, and I would say to myself, I don't feel like going to the gym. And I'll go, but what would Obama do? <laughs> if he can run the country and go to the gym, then your little old job ain't stopping you from going to the gym. You stopping you from going to the gym. That's on you. Number eight, escape his behaviors. When you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for your soul, then you turn to distractions of choice. Overeating, over-drinking, binge-watching Netflix, death-scrolling on social media, wormholing in the YouTube coming out, a flat earther. 
Kyrie? Looking at porn? Listen, if you're struggling with porn, hear my heart on this. 99% chance it's not about sex. It's about escape or control. And if you want to be free from it, you're going to have to figure out, is it escape or control or a combination of the two? There's some area of your life you don't feel like you're in control, so you find it there. Let me tell you, you're never in control. God's always in control. You're never in control. To quote the great Dominic Toretto, you never had me. You never had your car, right? This, you're never going to win this thing. God's always in control, right? And if it's escape, what are you escaping from? Number nine, spiritual disciplines slipping out of your life. Whoever said to themselves, I'm so busy, I need to pray more. I'm so busy, I need to make sure I get to church on Sunday to worship. No, it's the opposite. I'm busy and I'm tired, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to catch it online. I'm busy, I'm tired, I'll pray in the car, but then you end up taking three phone calls in the car. Spiritual disciplines begin to slip. Here's a question. What does your score say about where you are? As you assess your six, seven, or even nine out of ten, I want to say two things. Number one, reject any sense of shame. That's not what this is about. It's not about you being shamed. It's about us understanding and agreeing, number one, that this is the new normal in the Western world and we need help and healing. Yes? And number two, now you have an alarm bell and you need to ask yourself, what is this saying about me? What is my alarm bell saying about me? And about where I am and about what I, what, need. Now that we've been diagnosed, let's go to the great physician together. Y'all know that old song? Come on. Y'all know that song. Oh, all right, all right. It's one of y'all. Come on. You know, she's dragged that one out. In my room. Jesus is my doctor. He writes out all my scriptures. Oh, he <laughs> in my room. Hey, that was nice, y'all. Jesus and his crew, they entered a certain village called Bethany. That's where they were going. They entered a certain village called Bethany. And we entered the lives of these two women, Martha and Mary. And the fact that they dominate this story is fascinating to say the least. You see, in this context, women are dismissed and marginalized. But this account is actually designed to make a point to all disciples coming afterward that Jesus did not dismiss and marginalize his sisters. Amen. Amen. Martha, a local woman in the village, welcomes Jesus into her home, if you're following along. And the cultural importance of this moment cannot be overstated. I know that our culture lacks even a base level of hospitality, right? We don't even say bye. We just leave, right? Y'all seen Kim? She been gone from the party for an hour. Didn't say bye to nobody, right? 
But in this culture, hospitality was incredibly important. It was actually central to their ancient Near Eastern culture. And both Martha and Mary would have understood good hospitality as vitally important. And that's important for you to know. You see, Martha was prepping food and making her home ready to host Jesus. Dr. Luke tells us that Mary chose instead to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he was saying. Now, in our postmodern, post-Christian context, this may seem like a small matter to you, that Mary would sit down at Jesus' feet and listen to what he's saying. But her posture and her eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching at the expense of a more traditional role would have actually been shocking to a first century context, particularly to the men in that context. And Jesus' willingness to teach her, because rabbis then did not take on female disciples, mind you, so Jesus' willingness to sit there and teach her would have been equally shocking to anybody watching and ultimately to anybody reading about this account. In fact, this portrait is upending Centuries of cultural norms and expectations. What religious leader would sit and only teach women? That would have been a question that would have been asked in this time. And the fact that Jesus commends Mary and has a meal with Martha shows the heart of God, doesn't it? That in fact God is concerned for and with all people. And that he wants to see all people built up and flourishing in the dignity for which they were made. Can I get a good amen on that? That is what we see in this interaction. Now, <clears throat> here's where it gets sticky. Dr. Luke tells us that Martha's not comfortable with Mary's approach to the visit. Okay? She's a little worked up. Since she's in the kitchen, uh, she could use another hand. And her request to Jesus is, don't you care that I'm in here doing everything by myself? Tell Mary to get in here and help. Tell Mary to get in here and, and, and get this chicken done. Right? Now, there are several fascinating dynamics in this interaction that I hope you won't miss. The first thing that I noted <clears throat> as I read this passage, now listen to what I'm going to say here is how trained I am. Trained and socialized I am to think that just sitting and being in the presence of Jesus is doing nothing. That somehow, just sitting and being in his presence, just sitting and being in his presence is somehow going to waste time that I need elsewhere. In fact, we've been pretty fairly enculturated to believe that non-motion itself is just wasted. And we live that way, even if that time is being spent with Jesus. In fact, it is, it's fair to say that we are accustomed to overextending ourselves and sitting down to be in Jesus' presence, or even to just sit down and relax and be fully present in the moment feels impossible. It's not impossible, but that is how we feel inside. Listen, especially when there's plenty to do. Can I give you a freebie today? 
there's always going to be plenty to do. Always. There's always going to be one more email to answer, one more call to take, one more client to get, one more kid to deal with, one more post to make. There's always going to be, always, an opportunity to be doing something else, to be doing more, to be getting more. Always. But the danger in that is in all our doing, we miss Jesus. And we know Martha's viewpoint is questionable. This is the second observation, not only because of Jesus' reply to her, but because the text specifically says that she makes the comments while being distracted. In fact, and forgive my nerd moment, um, but the way she asked the question, if you read it in the Greek, she asked it in a way that expects Jesus to do what she wants him to do when she wants him to do it the way she wants him to do it. Observation. Observation. That distraction and hurry and busyness makes us demanding people even to the Lord. God, I need you to God the way I need you to God right now the way I asked you to do it. And if you don't do it right now the way I asked you to do it when I asked you to do it, in the godness that I require of this God moment, then you don't love me. Can we go deeper? Maybe you're not all powerful. Can we go deeper? Maybe you're not real. You see, that's how that happens. Yeah. Our distraction, our busyness, our pace, our overextension, our pushing ourselves into territory that nobody told us to go into, and then finding ourselves freaking out. And then when God doesn't swoop in, when we say swoop in, well, all of a sudden he is less God than we thought he was. No. No. It's not about him. It's about you. It's about me. It's about Martha. We become demanding people. And yet, God is so kind. He still replies to her so tenderly. Now, I know you can't read that with just the words on the surface. But this double address to her, you see it there in your text? Are you reading it? Martha, Martha, I dare you to put your own name in there, Leon's, Leon's. You see, in their culture, to double someone's name was an express expression of tenderness and care. So Jesus didn't snap on her. 
Like, girl, who you talking to? You know I made you? Huh? Huh? Grow up third arm. Take it back. That's who you messing with. Right? Praise God, I'm not God. I was like, oh, really? Big head. Now look at your hairline, push it all back. Now, what were you saying? Oh, okay. Thank God I'm not God. Martha. Martha. Look what he says. You are worried and upset about many things. Leons. Leons. You are worried and upset about many things. But you don't have to be. You don't, you don't have to be. You know, the moment reminds me of a bit, a bit of a quote by John Ortberg. It reads this way. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will, and I would put, suddenly renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I don't want to skim my life. I want to live my life. I want to live it full and abundantly as Jesus promised. So what do we see in this picture? It's clear that Martha has hurry sickness, right? She irritable. Jesus, I'm in here cooking. Ain't nobody helping. I'm tired. You better tell them to get in here, right? She's anxious. She's hypersensitive. Watch this. By comparing what she's doing to what Mary is doing, she's injecting an unnecessary amount of anxiety to, into a situation. Anybody? You're just like, here's some anxiety for everyone to share. That's what she's doing. It's also clear that her priorities are, are out of order. Why do I say that? Because Jesus reminds her amid all of the busyness, amid all of the hurry, amid all of her doing, she's missing him. She's missing him. What does he say? And I want to read it together. Follow the sentence, okay? Martha, Martha, you are upset and worried about so many things. But only one thing is needed. I didn't put all of that on you, baby. You put that on you. I can take it. Come to me. I, I can. Am I talking to anybody today? I can take it. Even though I didn't give it, I can take it. you got to actually let it go. Mary, on the other hand, shows that she understood that 
nothing that she could do for Jesus was more important than time with Jesus. This is hard for me, guys. I got to be honest. Because I want to just do God's will. And I want to do good things. But if I do them apart from him, how good are they? And how long can I actually last in the doing? No, it's our with Jesusness. And Jesus, in his gentle rebuke of Martha, makes it clear to them and everyone who reads this narrative since that Mary's decision to sit at Jesus was not just a moment.